Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Clinical Pharmacist podcast. My name is Rahina Kassam, and I'm one of the leads for training and development at the Clinical Pharmacist Solutions. Today, we will be discussing the Quality Outcome Framework, also known as QOF, and its updates for 2023 and 2024, and what pharmacists in primary care can be doing to contribute towards this. We are joined by my co-host, Sarah Deckmack, who is our Operations Manager and one of our lead IP pharmacists, and our guest speaker, Sarah O'Connor, who is also a clinical pharmacist and the Digital Transformation Lead in Kent. Both Sarah and Sarah have specialist areas and expertise in this area and are here to share the wealth of knowledge with us. Before we get started, Sarah and Sarah, I'll hand over to the both of you to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your experience in primary care. Sarah? Okay. Hi everyone, I'm Sarah and I'm a senior prescribing pharmacist. I'm also the head of operations in Clinical Pharmacy Solutions. My background for the past maybe six years has been mainly based in primary care. I worked with Sarah once upon a time in a, an environment where we had to do a lot of clinical uh, reviews and services uh, mainly based on QOF and QOF indicators and prevalence and that's, I suppose, like where our knowledge and passion for this area started. And I then moved on to becoming a lead pharmacist in a PCM. So I was able to get um, in, I suppose, a bit more detail involved in the actual hitting target side and why it's like so important for practices to hit their targets and, you know, all the hard work that goes on behind the scenes for practices to achieve their core targets. Um, and then after that, I've kind of used all the expertise that I've gained to join Clinical Pharmacy Solutions and support, train and deliver services as well when it comes to things like cough and long-term conditions. Sarah? Um, so I'm Sarah. Um, I have worked in primary care for about the last five years. I originally worked with Sarah. We did a lot of of quaff work there and I've now moved into a PCM in Kent um, where I'm the clinical pharmacist so doing very similar things Sarah said in terms of trying to achieve the indicators um, but I'm also the digital and transformation lead for the PCM as well so I'm involved in a lot more of the kind of planning side of it and working out how we actually try and hit those targets how we use our workforce to be able to to get there so I've got um, a sort of view from both practice level and PCN level on quaff um, yeah Perfect. So it's exciting to hear that both of you have got quite a lot of experience that you are bringing towards our listeners today. So for those listeners who are just starting out in primary care, can you guys give a little bit of background information to what the QOF is? Yeah. So first of all, we uh, do a lot of work in QOF, but make sure you read the contract. So we're going to give a lot of advice and tips on it, but have a read through the contract so you get a good understanding of it as well. Um, But QOF started in 2004. It was a part of the revision of the GP contract. Prior to that, you were paid on the patients that you had. So you would just get paid for having a list size. Um, it was then updated to kind of reward good practices. So the idea is that they were, they gave um, a number of indicators looking on chronic diseases. And on those indicators, they kind of said how you would perform. So you would get more money for hitting certain targets so things like diabetes making sure blood pressure was to target blood sugars um, so that people um, practices could actually get a better payment for providing a better service and for keeping people out of secondary care and since then it updated and we're kind of in now in nearly I guess the 20th iteration so next will be the 20th iteration of COF um, so yeah sounds great Sarah anything to add to that I suppose like um, in layman terms people who are new to it it's basically 
a way that practices get paid for doing the work that they should be doing anyway and they are doing anyway um but i suppose it allows everyone to kind of keep track of all the patients make sure they're all getting seen by keeping patients on registers like on specific disease registers um and it prevents any patients from like falling through the net and missing out on any care like sarah said you know preventing those secondary care admissions and yeah that's kind of it really in terms of what cough is i would say Yes, absolutely. So I think we can see why it's such a important and key area within primary care. So for the listeners today, can you just outline what changes have occurred this year with the QOF? So there are a few sort of key changes. Um, one of them is that the registers have been protected. So this become become an income protection. Um, so you are being paid based off of last year. It's being divided up and you're now being paid that monthly. So from how you've achieved in the QOF year last year, they are dividing up and giving you a monthly payment to for your registers. You still have to hit the indicators to get those points, but you're getting a set amount every month. Um, it's still important for us that we maintain those registers, so we still make sure that we are coding people, adding people to the diabetic registers. Um, it will increase your amount of money that you're, you're earning, but you can't earn less, so you'll still be protected for your the numbers of patients. Um, Prevalence is really important. So it's how people look for services. So it's really important that they accurately reflect. So with diabetes, knowing how many diabetics you have in an area shows whether or not there needs to be more services for that or less. So it's still important for us to maintain, but kind of the the pressure from keeping those registers has been taken off slightly. So are you saying, Sarah, that practices will basically get paid based on last year for each register? Um, no matter how high, let's say, the target is hit, they'll still be getting paid the same as last year. But if they add more patients on to the disease register, the prevalence adjusted payment will obviously mean they get slightly more or would that stay the same? So I think it's kind of going back to basics on COF, how you make money on COF. COF is point based. And so there are points for maintaining a register and there are points for achievement. Um, having more people on your register increases your value of your quaff point so you will get the same amount of money so if you had for the number of people registered last year and how well you did that's divided up and there's sort of 93 million pounds worth of funding that's going to be divided so you get a guaranteed payment based on last year's however if you increase your register so if you find sort of 100 new diabetics your pound per quaff will go up so if you achieve all of the indicators you'll make more money because you've had more patients. But that payment for having the re- keeping the register is protected. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, I was a bit like, um, I was reading that and I, I just thought some people may not understand it. Um, I don't think it's come across as clear as it could. Um, yeah. But I think you've done a really good explanation. <laughs> they, so the NHS England's got guidance is that the practice will be still be required to maintain the registers and the disease registers will still be used for the purpose of calculating disease prevalence. And it's important the practice is aware that the pound and um, the pound per point value of each area is impacted by that adjusted prevalence, um, which is calculated from the disease registers. So if you don't maintain your registers, you could actually end up still losing money from your achievement. So it's okay. just important that we you keep maintaining that register and don't give up on it over the year. Cool. And then um, in addition to that, what changes have occurred like from a clinical point of view? Um, where where it's going to impact us as pharmacists yeah. working in primary care. Uh, so there's, there are a few, aren't they? 
Yeah, so there's a, I think the biggest one is the new indicator. So there is now a new indicator for cholesterol management. Um, so it is, there are some minor changes. So I'm not going to go through them, but there's a couple of like worded changes in there. And until we, so we've had the contract announced, but the actual business rules haven't been announced. So that's your coding that you use. They announced what would, what would, clar- what would mean that you would get the money for achieving that kind of um, indicator. Those haven't been released yet. So until we get the release on those, some of those small wordy changes, they've included things like home blood pressure and things. We won't know the effect on those kind of minor changes. But the main clinical changes are the new cholesterol um, indicator. And the new cholesterol indicator is called cholesterol control and lipid management. So we're looking at two different um, two different indicators for that. So you've got percentage of people who are on the QOF register for having coronary heart disease, peripheral arterial disease, straight TIA, or chronic kidney disease who are currently prescribed a statin. But if they're if they can't have a statin because it's declined or clinically unsuitable they also need to be offered another lipid-lowering therapy. And that's the important part in it, is that previously indicators have been based solely along statins, and now it's based on if they can't tolerate a statin, there is a pathway, there's a new summary of cholesterol management that we should be following. Um, Yeah, but there's a good pathway. It's a really great um, flowchart. It's very easy to understand. Yeah, I I think I've seen that one before. I would suggest that you say to your practices to have everyone have it printed and laminated. And so all GPs, all nurses who are doing chronic diseases, everyone can have a copy of it so that they can do it. But I think the pharmacists are really going to be key in assisting in that. So basically now um, people should kind of, um, there's other options to just coding like statin declined or statin not tolerated, which is kind of usually people would code that and then just like move on. Um and not offer patients anything else sometimes. Um, it is understandable that a lot of patients genuinely do not get on with statins, but it's good to know that um, I suppose now it's, you know, you're gonna get pushed to kind of like explore the other options. Um, yeah, and I think with our, our statin chat that we will have our pre kind of loaded, how we discuss about statins, that's gonna have to change because people who maybe are really reserved about statins because of the media coverage, we can't just say declined anymore. We've now got to say, okay, well statins, what about something different? How would you feel about another lipid lowering therapy? So I think it's just that we've got to explore all options of it. Yeah. Um, and then the next one was actually getting your cholesterol to target. So there's a cholesterol 002, and that's the percentage of patients who are on the heart, coronary heart disease, peripheral arterial or stroke and TIA, who have a recording of a non-HDL cholesterol in the quaff year that's less than 2.5 mm-hmm. or if they don't have an on hdl cholesterol recorded their ldl should be lower than 1.8 yeah so we need to be looking at starting statins starting lipid lowering therapy but also intensifying therapy not just putting someone on a tour of statin 20 and, and leaving them we yeah. need to be looking for that 40 percent reduction in cholesterol but we also need to be checking that we're getting them under those targets um, yeah and i think that pharmacists will play a huge part in educating the practice so I'm not saying that we have to do all the work definitely I don't think we should be reviewing everybody that has a high cholesterol but I think we're the experts in medicine so we should really be sitting down with practice teams sitting down with cardiac lead and saying how are we going to manage this and trying to get ourselves more involved in that sort of conversations that are happening in practice 
Yeah, because I imagine it's going to be quite a large amount of patients at the beginning. Um, Practice will be doing better than they think. Yeah. So the one that's really going to be hard is CKD because we historically have just coded people and left them to it. So the statins will be hardest for cholesterol um, for CKD. But I do think that the cholesterol O2, the actual threshold's quite low. So it's 20 to 35% of patients. So to hit the maximum, it's 35%. So it's not a huge, it's not a huge amount of your patients, but it's also something that maybe we should be keeping an eye on. How are we doing? So keeping an eye on your quaff searches on your clinical system and seeing where we are with the threshold, where would we be at the end of the quaff year and just checking that we're staying on that target. Yeah, it's good that um, it will kind of highlight patients that need optimization and it will probably also give an opportunity for dietary and lifestyle interventions as well, especially in patients that have been optimized and, you know, if changes aren't happening with their blood levels, at least you can kind of keep a closer eye on them. You would do that anyway, but I think at least now people, their eyes will be more opened like towards it, I think. Yeah, definitely. The other sort of changes, I guess, is that atrial fibrillation, they've taken from the impact and investment fund. So they've merged that. So this year, it will be patients should be on a DOAC. If a DOAC is unsuitable or not tolerated, then they should be on warfarin. And if they can't be on either of those, then they can have sort of say anticoagulation not indicated. So those patients that we've got out there that are still on warfarin, if they can't have a DOAC, if they've got um, a metallic valve, things like that, then absolutely we can put down DOAC unsuitable, but we have to make sure that we're adding that coding. Yeah. So we're looking at our warfarin patients and we're reviewing them and we're seeing if a DOAC is suitable as first line. So that's going to be the other bit of work that hopefully people will have done from IIF, so it won't be yeah, any patients. Say, it's been a long time coming. I think uh, people may have felt that, you know, there was kind of like more than one way of doing it. And I think warfarin is, definitely not the way forward for patients who can have a DOAC and yeah finally it happened so it makes sense and it's important we're giving patients the option that we're actually having that conversation with them to say you're eligible to change you could change exploring their feelings and ideas on it and that we're actually saying using sort of evidence-based medicine to say looking at your time and range on your warfarin if you're below 70 then you should be changing over Um, and we're actually giving patients the informed decision so I think that there's a lot of really good information and a lot of changes there that you've highlighted as well. So especially with the prevalence, I think it's really important. It's key for people to be making sure those patients are coded appropriately and are on the correct registers just to make sure that that payment is optimized. And I think we've got quite a few key changes. So the the lipid lowering agent, CKD, and for the DOACs as well, so for AF. So what do you guys both think that our pharmacists can do to best prepare themselves for implementing these reviews going on in primary care? I mean, personally, I think people um, who do not know about these disease areas yet, you know, whether it be about the kind of background theory, the diagnosis, the treatment uh, options of like kind of meds available, I think people should, you know, make the time to kind of train themselves, upskill themselves, you know, read around, like Sarah said, you know, the contract and the quaff guidance is there. Um, it does have quite a lot of useful information in to kind of give you an introduction into like why these, um, you know, indicators are there. Like, you know, why do we need to do this? There, It's always based on like nice guidance or clinical guidance. So I think if you don't read around it to begin with, you're not really going to understand why you're doing it and it won't help you kind of 
know what the best options are for your patients when you are doing it. Um, don't know what you think, Sarah, any other advice you would give them? No, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's being as informed as you can be on them. If you if you know that these areas are changing, you need to be getting being best informed in them, reading around the subject, making sure you understand all the options, what would be, why, you, when you could change, when you couldn't. Um, in terms of the cholesterol management, it would be really having a look at, through that summary um, and getting a really, really good idea. Knowing your local formulary, I think that's really important because you're going to be using not just statins, things that historically have been secondary care. We're now being allowed to use more in primary care. So you need to be knowing when you can use the certain lipid, the newer lipids, and there are a lot more new ones that are coming out. So it's when you can use them, when would be appropriate, making sure that you really thoroughly researched it. Also talking to colleagues, speaking to your GPs who are um, specialists in those areas, other pharmacists and other practices. A big part of the, of the contract this year and the PCN is about collaborative working and sharing with um within the PCN and within a shared space so and trying to reduce burnout so a lot of it is probably going to be finding your circle of pharmacists or other professionals that you can bounce ideas off of and having that safe space where you can say hey what do you think about that um but just making sure that you're as, as informed as you can be on the subject but also be asking for help not being afraid to put your hands up and say I don't know I really need to go and have a, a read no absolutely I think they're really useful bits of advice that you've given to um, the listeners today and before we finish off do you guys have any top tips for success with quaff indicators I know we've kind of covered it slightly there but just to summarize a few of your most useful tips I mean I don't know if it's a top tip but obviously sometimes it depends what work you'll be doing in practice so let's say as a pharmacist you may be doing some medication reviews and not necessarily, you haven't necessarily been told that you're going to do any cough reviews or any long-term condition reviews. But as you're doing these medication reviews um, on EMSWEB and System 1, generally you will get like pop-up alerts and things that may kind of inform you that this patient is due like, uh, I don't know, like is this patient suitable for a statin? Consider statin. Um, that's a really big hint for you to kind of think, oh, well, seeing as I'm going to be reviewing this patient now, you know, can I do something that's going to help my practice? Can I, you know, discuss initiating a statin with this patient? You know, why are they eligible? You might look at their, you know, condition history, find they do have CKD and, you know, the pop-up boxes saying that, you know, they might be suitable for a statin. And then if you train yourself up to a point where you're comfortable of having that discussion with the patient during the med review, I think it just, you know, it saves a lot of time for the practice. It benefits the patient like sooner rather than later. Um, and it helps you know, I suppose, that you're also, you know, doing good for the practice, you're doing good for the patients. And yeah, that's my tip. I don't know if you have any tips. No, I think that's a really good one. I think it's um, moving away, I think, from the idea of a medication review is just how are you taking your medication? You know, you're on a blood pressure tablet, is your blood pressure okay? We need to be thinking of those medication reviews as more of a holistic review of the patient and then looking at that chronic disease. So it's it's starting to train yourself if you're not already doing it, of thinking, why are they on these medications? What actual conditions am I reviewing? And just being aware of what those conditions mean and looking at the NICE guide guidelines. Quaff shouldn't be something that we're doing in a mad rush in in February and March trying to like get everyone in. It's something we should just be aware of because it's a huge amount of money that helps fund um, our practices. So it's something that we should just be 
more aware of and more aware when we're doing our reviews um, of what we should be doing. The other thing would be using um, templates. So if your practice do sign up to any of those kind of additional clinical um, templates, trying to use them because they will highlight things that you need for QAF. They'll include the right coding as well. Please don't free type things. Please code things. It's the bane <laughs> of my life. Yeah, there is a code and it says QAF next to it. Please use it. <laughs> and yeah. looking at finally the um, the business date, the data, data set comes out of what codes to use just making sure you refresh yourself of saying, okay, in order to hit these indicators, what do we need to do? What do I need to actually code in? Yeah, because at the end of the day, from a quaff point of view, you could do all the work in the world. If you haven't coded it, it won't get picked up and it will assume that you haven't done that work for the patient and you won't get paid. So yeah. coding is very important. <laughs> <laughs> And that's the highlight from today. One thing to yeah. take away to remember, coding is very important. So just touching back on what Sarah had mentioned as well, it's really important to have a um, supportive network of peers that you can probably bounce ideas to and from, ask questions about QAF, ask questions about coding. Um, we do have a Telegram network called Clinical Pharmacist Network. So if anyone is out there and not supported a lot with a lot of other pharmacists in primary care, please do feel free to join our network on Telegram. Um, we also mentioned it's also really good to make sure you're upskilled and have knowledge around the areas that you are going to be reviewing patients in QAF. So we also do have some training on www.cpaweb.org.uk, um, which can help with some of the QAF areas such as DOAC training and heart failure review. So please feel free to go on the website and have a look at these training materials. Um, just want to say a big thank you to Sarah and Sarah for joining us on our podcast today. If anyone does have any no worries. If anyone does have any queries or questions, please feel free to reach out to us in the Clinical Pharmacist Network Telegram group. Thank you. Thanks.